You're listening to Sports Tech Feed, the global sports technology podcast. Hello and welcome to Sports Tech Feed. I am your host, Tom Salomes. Great to have you join us again. And on today's show, we have Ed Sully, Director of Customer Solutions at Huddle. Welcome to the show, Ed. Thank you, Thomas. It's a real pleasure to be here. So before we dive into it, can you just give a little bit of an overview of your career so far and uh, and then your role uh, within Huddle? Yeah, certainly. So I started working in professional football um, in early 2000. Um, following a bit of a coaching kind of career and journey um, at a kind of youth and community level. Um, and that got me exposure to uh, working in, in and around performance analysis at uh, Bolton Wanderers Football Club. Um, and at that time, the team was competing within the Premier League and trying to do things that were quite novel um, and had a, a coach there, Sam Allardyce, that was really kind of pushing the boundaries. So very lucky at the time, I was probably 18, 19 and, you know, getting to exposure to some amazing things um, that in hindsight, um, you know, I was very lucky to get exposure to. In 2008, I joined Manchester City, which then became the City Football Group. And I spent 11 seasons with that organization, uh, learning again about, um, you know, how to grow um, not only the, the role analysis can play, but also then the broader piece of managing football teams and the, the, the various challenges that exist within that. So did that for 11 seasons. And in 2019, I got the opportunity to come and join Huddle. And the challenge here is to think about what are the um, the strategic challenges that sports teams, so beyond beyond just football in, in itself, uh, face, particularly at a strategic and leadership level. And then what are the solutions and the technologies that are available uh, to try and uh, help uh, bridge the gap between those challenges and and success? Yeah, and that's that's a perfect segue to what we're talking about today, which is trends in elite sports clubs and organizations globally in the performance space. And we're going to break that down across three buckets, which is scouting and talent development. So the actual identification of, of, uh, of those players, then developing the players, player development. Um, and then the third piece, which kind of cuts across everything, which is the integration and relationships between traditional coaching in air quotes there. And then, um, uh, data analysts, so more the technical staff. So, starting with that, I guess, what are your what are the key trends that you're seeing um, in scouting and talent ID uh, across that elite performance space? Yes, yeah, it's, it's a really good uh, vein of thought, Thomas. What I would probably say though is before we get into those three details, is to one of the biggest trends that we've observed, and I've certainly observed in my personal career, is the role that uh, a game model can play in different sports and it's particularly true in football um, in terms of it being a foundation for building sustainable success. Um, often what teams are looking to do and the biggest challenge they have is, is that um, creating a one-off success, winning winning something, getting promoted, you know, even if that's sustaining your position in the league, whatever that win means for you um, can be achieved as a one-off, but doing that sustainably is, a, is the real challenge. And what you see is that more and more teams are thinking about um, what the role of the game model uh, plays. Uh, and to that point, when I uh, recently got an opportunity to present to uh, clubs from all over the, uh, the English game at all different levels, I asked them this specific question um, in terms of how things have evolved. And when, when I first started working in global football, um, I would say 
you know, there was a, there was a low number of organizations thinking about centralizing the game model and how they want to play the game. Um, whereas today it's far more common now, uh, and certainly the answers from that group uh, showed that. And I think that, that becomes like the foundation. So, so I would say the first starting point is the role that game model plays in building sustained success. So is that um, so that's within scouting and talent ID is actually well, your, your yeah, then it, player, it's asking, well, who do we need? Who do we need to fit into our system and exactly. take the game model as the starting point rather than saying, well, this person is a freak athlete. They'd be great here. Yeah, yeah exactly. I think so. If, if you imagined a, a pyramid, if you like, and at the base of that pyramid, your game model would be the, the, the thing that sets that foundation. What would also go within that is you needing to understand your context of how what winning means for you. So for every organization, respective the respective side of your of your sport, you are of course being reflecting and thinking about well, what does a win mean for me? So for some some people, it may be winning a trophy, it may be getting promoted if that exists in your sport, it may be sustaining your position within a a league or a competition. Again, depending on your sport. And so first of all, you've got to really define what that means. And the way the analysis can be used very well is to analyze the history, uh, put simply, you know, what does it take to say, win the English Premier League or MLS or, or the A-League in Australia, whatever that might be, you know, what does that, what does that look like if that's what you're trying to do as an organization? Um, and then those two things combined, the game model and what it takes to win, uh, can then be put into the the three themes you you described there. So from a scouting and recruitment perspective, you know the trend really here has been that the the pandemic has has forced teams to reevaluate uh, where technology plays its part. You know, traditionally maybe twenty years ago it would have been more towards the mid end of the process, whereas today it's much more at the front, and that's been driven by the fact that. You know, teams and organizations are un, under financial pressure to make smarter decisions. So therefore, if they can apply um, uh, data science or similar techniques to filtering the types of players that they're looking for or athletes they're looking for versus the type that they want in their game model, that's where you get this kind of nice crossover and, uh, and teams are starting to think about that first rather than later down the line. Yeah. And, and is that, I mean, it's, the concept of a diamond in the rough um, is, I feel, and I could be completely wrong, is becoming um, increasingly obsolete in, in sports and pro sports in terms of exposure, this idea that you're going to unearth some once-in-a-generation talent that's um, playing out in rural, wherever, um, mm-hmm. isn't getting the exposure. But is it more that, one, is is that a correct assumption? And then, two, is is that it's more finding the diamond in the rough for your system so someone that is particularly undervalued because of but highly valued because of what they bring in that particular role yes i i definitely think it's more the latter than the former i think you always find these case studies of you know what you're classing there's a diamond in the rough coming through uh locally you know and i think that's the beauty of sport uh, I think more uh, likely, though, it's that latter piece where it's it's thinking about what does that mean in your context. So for your competitor, it may be someone slightly different, but for you, that particular style of play is a is a good fit. And, you, and again, you see these examples uh, that kind of transcend sport today. Um, and I think that I think that that will will continue again. I think it's just about 
knowing the team you want to be and the what winning means for you and then and then putting that into action with the data that you have available i think probably the other thing that we've noticed over the last 20 years is that it's becoming less and less about getting access to the information although that is still a challenge in certain cases but it's much more swapping towards how do you get most from the information and data rather than finding the data in the first place yeah yeah and and I mean, that's a great point to kind of move on to the next one, which is uh, player development. So you've got mm -hmm. this this uh, this talented athlete that fits into your system. How do you then get the most from them? Absolutely, absolutely, really good point. Yeah. So once you've you've found that player, you're you're onboarding them. I think again, where we see the 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 most synergies is where organisations are getting the holistic. A performance team that would be around the player involved early in the recruitment process so again traditionally maybe 20 years ago players would have been signed and then they just they essentially just become a problem for the the coaching staff and the analysts and the uh, the medical sports science staff etc i think the the more modern approaches now are to get those roles involved or those departments uh, uh, more importantly involved in in the scouting and recruitment process earlier so that then it becomes and what we see very uh, often now is a kind of a growing trend is the concept of an individual development plan so that that individual development plan uh, would be made up of a of a mixture of um, subjective and objective measures but typically and particularly in a global football perspective would cover a four corner model so the, the physical, the psychological, the tactical and technic technical traits that they're looking to evolve on. And again, this is where it links back to the game model. So for those organizations that are very clear on how they want to play and perform, they can use that as a, as a basis to say, okay, well, the individual development plan to develop the way that we want you to play, to make add value to either the team, or if your sport allows it to trade and make profit from that, um, you can you can apply those that kind of logic to it. Um, I think the the other thing that's very interesting in this space is that there is increasingly coaches thinking about this concept of flipping the classroom. So the, you know again, again, good practice would be having all your multidisciplinary hum, um, uh, performance teams around that player working on the individual development plan, providing a cadence of feedback um, to the player often via the coaching staff um, to help them on their journey. Um, I think what was very interesting though is this concept of flipping the classroom and what do I mean by that is putting the ownership on the players um, to 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 take control of that and to take control of that individual development plan and also the content that's created for it. So it, it, it is not uncommon now for uh, players, particularly in youth academies, to be working with, say, the Huddle products that we offer today all over the world to over 200,000 teams. Uh, we have over 6 million people at any one time and any one day using them uh, to work on, work on their individual development plan, but then also work on the specifics of, um, of generating the content that goes into that and, and uh, working with the support staff in terms of the, that, that communication about their development and how they are improving. And again, 20 years ago, that would have been relatively unheard of. Um, it would have almost been seen as somebody else's responsibility to do that. And I think it's it's interesting that that's, that's happening. And I think this is where sport 
also echoes um, other sectors. So in the education sector, for example, you know, this has become more and more common practice to do. Uh, and a specific example of this uh, could be someone like Paco Lopez, who was last at Levante coaching. You should go and check out some of his content online. It's available on YouTube. Uh, he, he puts across an, an, an excellent example of at a senior level, not just at youth level, um, trying to uh, work on the individual needs by flipping the classroom and getting the players to take more ownership. And so that that's an interesting point that tweaks my next question, which was around integration and relationship between traditional coaching data analysts. I'd throw in mm-hmm. players in there as well. So how is of how course. is that evolving in in terms of, um, I mean, the cliche of, of the the bean counters and the um mm-hmm. and the uh, the kind of performance staff off to the side and then the coach trusting their gut and stuff like that. And that is, that's obviously yes. like well, 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 well beyond that. But um, hmm. how does that really look like in a, in a modern, um, I would say, you know, top tier organization, how is technology and data actually integrating and, and developing those relationships? Yeah, I think first and foremost, we need to uh, tip, tip our hats towards the governing bodies, member associations that are running professional courses for coaches today. Uh, the same is true of sporting directors, heads of recruitment. There's a, there is a much more um, holistic approach to that education now. And, and from the point we're making here about coaching analysis is that um, the analysis skills are being taught on those courses um, at various levels from a from a very much a beginner to a more intermediate and advanced level depending on on the level of the coach um, so so many organizations that are set up to help um, education of coaches be that in the university sector as well um, are are increasingly looking for this connection of where technology can help so Actually, what you see, and when I first started working on this um, sector myself, like 20, 20 years ago, um, you know, it, it was separate. It was, the analysis was separate to what the coaches were doing. There's very few coaches really getting hands on with the technology. Uh, fast forward to today, and there's a real um, uh, overlap between coaches and, and, and analysts, which I think is great. And and some of us that were working earlier in in our careers kind of could foresee that coming, which I think is a which is really cool. Um, what that's probably created in the last 10 years, though, is this, uh, this idea of specialism. And particularly what we're seeing in the analysis space is uh, kind of applied data scientists coming in from different sectors, or at least the skill set coming in from dis- different sectors of the commercial world and being applied into the, the high performance spaces uh, to help the coaches essentially find moments for matches and training you know, much faster um, you know, and, that, and that's reflected, of course, of what we're doing at Huddle in terms of our investments too, including our most recent product that is called Insight, which uh, allows you to bring together third-party data from event tracking a multi-angle video, and very quick, quickly apply rules that teach that talk the language that a coach would speak to find those moments in games. So if it's you know, finding the ability to of how an opposition team is going to play out from the back, um, who is trying to expose their opposition in in one on one wide one on one areas, for example, or whatever that might be, talking through the through the phases of the game, those things can be converted now into a data language which can very quickly find you video examples at scale and uh, allow the the kind of coaches to make uh, smarter decisions. 
Yeah, it's interesting that point around um, external, I guess, influences coming into the industry. Um, that was something we talked about with uh, Corey Jez, who used to be um, leading the analytics at uh, the Jazz and then at Austin FC. And he was talking mm-hmm. about um, that uh, the Mets, for instance, or in and other baseball teams are now recruiting out of hedge funds, NASA, mm-hmm. you know, big yes. tech classic kind of things that have a really deep vein of um of data talent um now people are going oh i can actually do this in sports and it's not a fringe thing it's actually a integrated part of the organization um so they have the opportunity um and i guess the incentives to to get involved in it so that's been really interesting to see that's the kind of next evolution of that um and then translate that to to coach speak i guess um, yeah, I think I think that is absolutely key. I think you, you touched on a really good point there. As there's been as there's been this uh, uh, migration of talent and the concepts of of that talent from different sectors, one of the biggest challenges, of course, is translating that into a way uh, that coaches, sporting directors, heads of recruitment, key leaders within the performance side can understand it. And the same is true of human performance leaders too. So. Um, I think those that have been the most successful have found a way of of, uh, tran- of translating, for want of a better word, between between the two. And there's, um, uh, I think that's a really important thing for anyone to consider and think about if they're moving into that space professionally as they're listening to that, is to really think about trying to get into the eyes or the mind of the person that you're going to you're trying to persuade here, because ultimately that's what it's about. You're trying to persuade the coach. Uh, to to think and act and make decisions in a certain way therefore you should take time to understand that how they think in the first place i think that's from what i've when i've seen that work very well uh, personally in my professional career that's where it's worked the best Mm, that's really interesting that point of persuasion rather than that concept of kind of top down i'm the smartest person in the room here's the data this is what it says you should do now go do it it's actually going well it's a persuasion because there's so many other um, data inputs, some of them mm-hmm. are a little bit more, I guess, identifiable and scientific, and then others are 40 years of coaching and whatever else you've seen and kind of getting to know your players and stuff like that, that are still data mm-hmm. and still inputs, but maybe aren't as easily quantifiable um, uh, on a platform uh, as that. So it's convincing the coach of what the value is um, and what yes. the, the kind of viewpoint is. So, and yeah. around that, I mean, Amongst your clients, and feel free to call out specific organizations, what are the hallmarks of industry best practice? Like we've talked about all these trends and, and the best way to get there. Who's actually implementing that in 2022? Yeah, well, I guess, first of all, let me just run through some, you know, in terms of the uh, hallmarks of best practice, what do you tend to see? And then, of course, I can land on on a few that uh, people can go and check out because we've got a number of these on the on the Huddle blog. If anyone searches, searches up the Huddle blog, you'll find numerous examples of this being written up, but you know, it, it's a combination of the following. First and foremost, what I mentioned before, this idea of being having clarity of, of identity, like who they are as an organization, their mission, what they're trying to achieve, and have they got um, uh, their, their fans and their organization on board with that mission? Is everyone you know, essentially on the same bus? And then, and then last but not least, the purpose. Now, why are they doing this in the first place? It's often very, very commonly overlooked and can be very, very confusing sometimes for even staff that work for these organizations. If they aren't clear on their purpose, like why are they here? You tend to see, you know, very transient nature to their, to their organization. People move on fast, et cetera. So 
those that do really well have clarity of identity, mission and purpose. And within that, the game model is one example of, of bringing that to life. And just to jump in there, that could be, uh, you know, win, win, the, win the league, win the treble, whatever else it is, win X number of games this season, or is it mm-hmm. like kind of how, what do those actual goals look like? Or is it much more nebulous in the sense of, are uh, we here to succeed or, you know, be the best that we can? Like how, what is a, a mission, a goal, whatever else, what does that actually look like? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so your identity tends to be, you know, the history of your organization, where have you come from, um, you know, in terms of what you're trying to achieve. So, uh, you know, when I was at City Football Group and we were doing this at Man City, that identity would have been been linked to the, to the fact the origins of, say, Manchester City in the 1800s and where that why that was important to to everyone to to respect and think about. Um, you see that too from other big organizations in the world, like say the All Blacks, have a very clear identity about why they exist and the they're kind of linked to their ancestors and these are really powerful motivating factors but if you don't take time to capture and educate people on that you know how can you expect people to be on the same page the the mission then would come down to what i guess those more shorter or or three to five year goals that that's trying to trying to be achieved so again it's something like at, at man city it could have been you know consistently challenging to win the, the Champions League and the and the and the EPL. So being very clear on that again helps people understand that well what that, what is this mission? What are we working towards? And then last but not least the purpose, you know, would be, you know, why do we exist? Well, we it, again from a city football group perspective, it would be to, you know, we're here to entertain our fans first and foremost. You know, and again from a coming from a, a, a football background like I did, um, it was great to be part of those conversations and just have that reflection point to go, well, yeah, we're here to entertain first. We want to we want to play a particular style of football that we believe our fans are going to be excited about. Um, and that really helped change a lot of mindsets of people because, you know, we, we weren't just there for, for some reasons. Our purpose was there to entertain. And and often that can be can be overlooked. Um, so that gave us a great starting point to then go. Well, how do we convert that from a sports perspective? And and the route we went down was to say, well, okay, well, what's our central game model, and what are the what are the eleven specific positions on the field? So this is a global football example. Um, what does that mean? You know, what what characteristics should that player have? And then therefore we can build everything off the back of it. The, the staff that we hire and we recruit, including the players. How do we develop them, um, and and how do we how do we generate value from from them too? Yeah, that's great, great example, and um, kind of I love that point around history in the sense of um, linking that back to your purpose in terms of organisations because that looks so different for each one, obviously, even competing at a similar level. Yeah, I think I think it leads nicely into the second one too. It's like really understanding what your high performance culture is and. It's an often a phrase that, that said a lot, um, and for those that are working in the industry today, we'll get a better sense of what that actually means. Um, but it's really taking, being clear on what it means to win within your context, and then the standards required by everyone involved. And often, what happens in high performance environments is it's very cutthroat. It's very um, uh, result orientated, particularly at the top end, particularly the senior end, across both men, men and uh, women's games. Um, so you need to create a, a way of um, creating legacy within that 
Uh, and again, working at City Football Group gave me such a great um, foundation in that because uh, essentially the team I worked for for the last five years of that time with City Football Group was dedicated to trying to centralise uh, knowledge on the group's behalf so that as and when changes happen for good or bad reasons, there was at least a legacy of uh, education content material that was available. And when I reflect from my time with uh, Bottom Wanderers, when Sam Allardyce did move on, he got a, got a bigger job, promotion to Newcastle. Uh, I did stay on for uh, for, for another uh, couple of years. And, you know, unfortunately, a lot of knowledge left at that time. And we didn't have a central knowledge team, essentially, that we created at, many years later at City. Um, and we really did suffer, generally suffered that because people joined who didn't know the history, the background, there was no education material to bring them up to speed. Um, so, you know, lots of things changed in a very short period of time. And who are the people that are affected the most by this? Well, it's the players. You know, they, they, they get confused. They don't understand the things they've been being told for the previous five or six years. Some of that now changes. Um, and, you know, I think it was part and part of the, the reason why Unfortunately, Bolton didn't uh, go on to be successful for much longer. So I think that that concept of really knowing who you want to be um, and taking the effort and the time that it takes to centralise that and use that as a as a as a as a legacy for when change inevitably happens, I think is is so important. Yeah, it's interesting looking at something like college football, where college football coaches will um, have long term deals, but then just kind of get. Um, if they're not performing throughout a season, just get very brutally moved on. Um, mm. But then when that happens, a lot of time it's completely cleaning house. So these these college mm. football organisations are um, very old institutions for the most part and have a very deep sense of history and culture and all that kind of stuff, um, as mm. you said. But then the mission is um, that's where that suffers because there's no continuity continuity of knowledge that comes through yes. and also no continuity of say game style or things like that if someone comes in mm. it's it's with a broom and it goes out the window and then you say well yes what are we here to do we're here to win and this is our winning culture and we've been doing this since you know the late 1800s and that kind of stuff so it's it's yeah, yeah, balancing, yeah, yeah. balancing both of them um yes yeah yeah and and, and that's that's essentially the um the biggest challenge um, that we were tackling at City Football Group at the time when I was there for 11 seasons was to say, how do you protect against that that type of change? Because again, in the early stages at City, it would have been the same. You know, uh, manager is, is, uh, is moved on for whatever reason. Um, lots of staff leave and suddenly all that knowledge leaves too. Um, and when you scale that up to where they're at now with, you know, many, many teams around the world, um, you know, that, that can happen on a very regular basis. So, the whole concept of uh, of what City has created is to try and protect against that, and, and I think it's logical for all organisations, not just for uh, log, large organisations like City Football Group. If you've got, um, irrespective of your of your budget, if you've got people really thinking about understanding and capturing what best practice looks like, or even good practice for that matter, and then using that as part of the uh, foundations and education material around, you know, your your identity, your mission, your purpose. I think that's a, that's a that's a great starting point to always work from. Great. So so recapping that in terms of best practice, it's it's understanding that the history, which is kind of the what have you gone, and then and then the why, why are you doing this, and and who are you mm. doing it for? In terms of as you said, so for the fans and the, the entertainment and stuff like that, 
and then moving on to a, a purpose and a mission and kind of codifying that. And then thirdly, it's going, well, a knowledge hub to capture all this um, yes. and whatever that looks like um, but that works for that organization. And, and so what else? What else are some hallmarks of best practice? Yeah, I, again, I think there's like this this concept of a, a holistic approach to evidence-based decision-making has become more and more important over the last 20 years. But it's very important within that too is to have clarity on who's making decisions. So there's obviously the the, um, the phrase in sport of coaches king, and, and that is still true today. You know, coaches in terms of the performance environment are still making their decisions. Um, and the, the kind of one of the best examples that comes to my mind is when uh, Ange Postacoglu was head coach at Yokohama F Marinos. I had the opportunity to work with him pretty closely uh, during that period of time because one of our roles at City Football Group was to manage the connection between the group um, and Yokohama in Japan from a, from a purely football perspective. Uh, so meeting him regularly, weekly with with Ange, helping him onboard him into the, the team, etc. And one of the things he would often uh, describe to me was he sees his role as is to be a, 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 a filterer. So he, essentially, he, he sets the t this performance team around him to provide him with evidence-based um, uh, decisions. And then his role ultimately is to filter the ones he wants to make. And for, for whatever reason, some, some are easier to make than others. But ultimately, it's down to, to to him as the coach to make that final decision, particularly when it comes to squad selection, team team match day decisions, those types of things. So, I think as 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 much as holistic approaches has become a, a trend, there's also this clarity on like finally who makes that decision, and and everyone has to be uh, be uh, accepting of it. Um, I think the the other ones that come here in terms of hallmarks are this growth of trying to really centralize in links to the, the previous point trying to centralize data and generating powerful insights um, and the speed of decision making i think has been has become critical so this it, is this concept of understanding well what are all the da different data sources that you need to pull together and and then tying that with what are the performance questions you're trying to answer sometimes you need to start with the performance questions first to really if you're really starting from scratch to really help you understand, well, what is the data that I, it is that I need to be recording? Because uh, sometimes it can be, you know, that paralysis by analysis perspective is becoming can become increasingly uh, true because there's so much data and information um, to 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 have right now. Um, so I think it's, it's it's that kind of best practice stuff comes down to the hallmarks of best practices around understanding your performance questions first and then understanding the data you need to make that happen. And that's across all performance areas. And you would even argue into the commercial world as well. So there's, yeah. a, there's a need for the same on both sides. Yeah, the, the clarity of the question you're asking rather than mm. what the data is like, well, what could the data tell me? It's like, well, what do I actually need to know from this? And then having that that kind of two-way education on telling your um, the technical staff, this is what I'm looking for. And then the coaching staff, saying the technical staff coming back and saying well this is the information that we can give you on this and you know that that um that two education and interesting you mentioned Ange. um i was gonna say postcogly i'm gonna butcher yes. his name but as a as an aussie as an australian um yes you mentioned his time at yogahama and now at celtic what mm. he yes. he's had been referred to as the savior of celtic um over yes. in scotland but uh, there's a great interview with him and sorry, this is a bit of a, a, a left turn, but it also just come back to your point around um, purpose at 
City Football Group was to entertain our fans first. This is a great interview with him. I'm not sure if you've seen it, but um, Ange was asked before a game um, about all the excitement that was building about Celtic and could they go in and be kind of giant killers and stuff like that. Um, and his response was basically, it's not my job to um, to pour, pour kind of water on that. Like I don't want to, mm-hmm. for our fans, I don't want to come in and say, oh, we can't do that or you should reset expectations. Um, mm-hmm. People have enough kind of disappointment and um, negativity and cynicism in their everyday lives and that's why they watch sports is, is a release. Is it's, yes. it's that what if, it's that hope, which I think, and maybe I'm drawing a long bow, but I think that points to or Ange's kind of understanding of what he's there for and what yes. he is doing as the coach at, you know, coaches king at the top level. Um, yeah. and everything flows down from that. There's a great, great additional example there. Yeah, really links back to that purpose part, understanding why you're there and, and what it is you, you're trying to achieve. Um, we, we've also got a really good, uh, uh, just after I joined Huddle, we we interviewed Ange. You can search that up. I think a lot of the content he shares there will still be relevant. It's got a very Yokohama feel to it because that's where he was at the time. But if you search for Huddle and um, Huddle Blog and uh, and uh, Ange Postrikogu, you find another really good interview about his specific approach to the game, which uh, yeah, I think people will find very fascinating. Yeah. And this question is maybe um, obviously as a, as a Huddle representative, I'm sure you're going to say Huddle, but in terms of technical mm-hmm. tools, so we've actually talked about everything, almost everything, but the actual technical technology tools, data tools, um, yes. Where did that fit in best practice in terms of not necessarily what's being used in terms of that um, that product or that that company that service, but the kind of attitudes to it, I guess. Yeah, again, I think the last twenty years has been a real explosion into the, in terms of the use of technology to to help with all these challenges, and and ultimately, I've always viewed this as the you know technology is an enabler of what people are trying to get to. I think. Um, over the last 20 years, the kind of concepts of what people are trying to achieve haven't necessarily changed a lot. People are trying to find find the best athletes and players for their organization. They're trying to develop them and raise potential. They're trying to generate value in the squad. They're trying to um, perform to win. Um, so those types of baseline concepts have not changed. I think what has changed is that the way technology and information can be used to influence the decisions that are being made by coaches at a, at a much faster rate than, than ever before. Um, I mean, if I remember when I started, um, uh, and I'm old enough to have worked on VHS tapes and, uh, and DVDs, um, so I understand just how slow back then the processes were of trying to break down video and film and provide that to the coaches and work with them. You know, you spent all your time just video editing, basically. Um, and that's transformed hugely now where Again, like I mentioned with the pro suite set of technologies we have today, we can help customers uh, capture video in the first place, store that centrally, tag it and add different um, data to it um, in the background, serve that up to our customers so that they can use it to make those smart decisions and then just dramatically uh, speed up the process it takes to prepare your your opposition game plan, to analyze that live post game review, to scout and find the players that you want and to then put that individual development plan in place. I mean, the technology has just come on, on board so so uh, so hugely in this last 20 years. Um, and it's why I feel privileged to be working for such a big organization like Huddle, where we've got, like I said, more than 6 million people a, year, a day working um, on our on our uh, technologies all over the world. There you go. Well, that's uh, the, the 
the uh, very well said plug for for huddle we'll leave it on that um that'll <laughs> keep that'll keep everyone in the marketing team happy i'm sure so um but it, it is true in terms of um tools and the scale uh that's there it's really interesting to me personally it's understanding how artificial intelligence is coming to a lot of this stuff both yes. in terms of the capture yes. like the ability for computer vision Absolutely. automated cameras no operators it follows the ball it follows players and yes. then the next step is well if you capture something on a phone um then being able to phones these days the camera the quality getting there then you have innovations and in things mm -hmm. like 5g so the ability to upload yes. it analyze it yes it's kind of um it's also a democratization of that technology so you can be anywhere in the world um, as an athlete and then have access to these pro level tools yeah absolutely it's, it's almost like you're in our uh, our product planning meetings that's they're exactly the topics that uh, and others that we're working on at the moment is to keep trying to democratize technology to you know provide access to you know teams and sports organizations all across the pyramid so from high schools through to the, mo the higher end uh, elite teams. Uh, I know you, you asked me to call out some uh, specific examples here. So again, if, if anyone listens to this, goes and searches for the Huddle blog, there's plenty of examples on there, but I'll, I'll, I'll summarize three if, if you, don't, you don't mind, Thomas. And um, the, the, the first is with uh, Almira. So a team that are now playing in the Spanish La Liga, but um, as part of their journey to get into Spanish La Liga, they've viewed uh, technology as an investment, not uh, an expense. And I think that's a, a very critical uh, mindset to take, a, a step to take. Uh, quite commonly, technology can sometimes be seen as a as a, as a cost center. Um, and those more modern thinkers are thinking, well, actually, it's an investment because what we want to do is to identify talent, the things that we just described before. They want to identify talent that's going to you know, make an impact in their team today. They want to develop them and they want to generate value by them playing minutes, professional senior minutes in their team and therefore create this extra value in the team that if they then decide to um, uh, trade in uh, through, through, uh, through transfers, that's something that's available to them. Whereas previously that would not have been available. So therefore that, that's, that investment helps them then to think about, you know, how they're working with the coaching staff, how they're working um, on promotion of young players into the first team, things like that. So that's that's a, a really great case study that you should go and check out with uh, with Almira. The second one is with Mechelen in in Belgium. Um, they've also been working on that challenge of how do they convert their playing style into a data driven recruitment uh, strategy. Uh, and again, you should check that out because what they the journey they've been on has gone from a very very manual process to now a much more automated and semi-automated process in terms of using data and evidence within that. And you know, we're very, we're very proud that uh, Mechelen are using the, the Scout football data to, to be able to make that possible today, as, as long as uh, along with other uh, industry standard uh, technologies to help bring all that to life. Um, and then last but not least, um, if you're looking ahead of the World Cup to get excited about what some, some of the nations are going to do in the build up to the World Cup, you should definitely go and check out the CBF, so the Brazilian national team and what they're doing today in terms of using evidence and data and information. And again, we're very privileged that, that they're using Huddle to do this, um, is to, to, to create a, a process of tracking Brazilian players all around the world and using that information to inform their squad selection. Uh, and they're also using the analysis to prepare their training, their game plans and the on the opposition based on their strengths and weaknesses. Again, all using this information and technology. Um, and that will be supporting them going into into the World Cup uh, and all the tournaments beforehand. So they've been a 
a long-time customer of Huddle and uh, we're delighted to to continue to support them. Um, and in fact, about 80% of the teams at the, at the Men's World Cup will be will be Huddle customers and we're using some part of our technology. Uh, so we're super excited to see you know how the teams compete. And again, I think it just links to what you thought there before, kind of democratising technology and, and putting it in the hands of all the teams, particularly when it comes to big tournaments like the World Cup. Yeah, it's interesting those those examples there. I mean, the the latter with Brazil is they have an embarrassment of talent. So it's then Absolutely. how do you find the it's not yeah, it's a it's a unique problem to have in the sense of we have so much talent that we have access to. How do we yes. actually find the best yes. pieces that fit together, fit our game style, all that kind of stuff? And then the earlier examples are going, well, we may not be um the biggest clubs in the world. So actually in terms of attracting, identifying talent, what we're trying to do is how can we get that competitive edge to absolutely identify that talent, develop it, then you know, either make a profit or success uh, on the field or both, um, ideally. So, yeah, interesting absolutely. how the same tool is used at, at two different ends of the spectrum. Yeah, absolutely. And if anyone's wanting some more um, food for thought as well on, on high performance, you can go and search up uh, Huddle's high performance workflow series um, on, on the internet and you'll find a whole do- a dedicated uh, set of content that goes from the, the the global trends right through to how teams are using technology today across various different different sectors. So plenty of content that we increasingly want to keep putting out there um, so that people can take time to reflect and think about, you know, what, uh, what the future looks like for them. Yep, sounds good. And before we go, I've got a, a final question for you, Ed. Um, yeah. First of all, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. It's been a really interesting discussion. Um, but final question is, what is your favourite sporting moment of all time? Ha! Well, um, of all time. That I've been part of or just of all time? Just anything. Anything from anything, anything at all. Answer that has how you will. Um, we've had everything well, from people being involved in an event, people that have watched it. Someone said they're, um, I think they're like under 12s, some sort of um, victory there. So the full spectrum, just what? Nice, nice. If you can't get it, uh, nail it down to about two or three. Yeah, I'll definitely definitely choose two. Obviously, one one from personal experience, the first time that City had won the league in a while in 2012, I was pitch side when Sergio scored that incredible last second goal of the game and the fans going mental. I'd never seen fans reaction like that it was just an incredible thing to be part of and to have been part of the backroom staff at that time was just a incredible um i would say from a family perspective uh my we live uh quite close to to blackburn uh, and my father played for blackburn rovers for many years um he left the team by the time they won the premier league but for the for our, our local community, for Blackburn Rovers to to win the Premier League in the nineties was a was a was a huge achievement, and um, you know it was really amazing to be in and around the, the the small town that we that, that I live in today uh, to experience that. So I think it would be between the two, and that second one certainly has a stronger tie to my own kind of personal family uh, kind of background, uh, which I always think is is important part to take. My definitely my father is uh, is a is a big inspiration to me. Um, and, and someone that um, you know, I'm always trying to collaborate with. He also works in professional football still today. So we're always kind of exchanging ideas and, and thinking about what the future could look like. There you go. Football is the family business. 
Yeah, something like that. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. Well, thanks so much for for sharing those um, those highlights, and thank you again, Ed Sully, for your time today and um, coming on Sports Tech Feed. Pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. I hope everyone found that interesting. If anyone ever wants to to reach out and connect, you know, please feel free.